بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعمله اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من قولي والعمل والنية والهدى إنك على كل شيء قدير يا فتاح يا فتاح يا فتاح يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار Beloved brothers and sisters, dear listeners, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to accept our coming here and gathering here. May He make this a gathering of ours heavy in our scales and may it make it a means of our salvation. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal, whatever khair and good we are hearing and sharing, we ask Allah that He makes this a proof for us and not against us. May He inspire us to practice on it. And may He allow us, inshaAllah, to invite others towards the khair and good that we hear as well. And as always, we should renew our intention Why we're here. We're here only and solely to please Allah Azza wa Jal. We should listen with the intention of practice. We should listen with the intention of propagating. And we should listen with this intention that Allah Azza wa Jal wants to give hidayah to anyone and everyone who wishes for hidayah. So we ask Allah that, Ya Allah, you, you, we are here looking for guidance, looking for hidayah. Allow us to hear such words that will become a means of my guidance. Every one of us, the more sincerity we show to Allah Azza wa Jal, in asking for guidance and hidayah, then inshallah, the more benefit we will be able to derive. Continuing on from ayah number six, uh, from uh, last week, inshallah, Surah Al-Hajj, بَعْدَ أَنْ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْحَقُّ وَأَنَّهُ يُحْيِي الْمَوْتَى وَأَنَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ وَأَنَّ السَّاعَةَ آتِيَةٌ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهَا وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ يَبْعَثُ مَنْ فِي الْقُبُورِ وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُجَادِلُ فِي اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ وَلَا هُدًى وَلَا كِتَابٍ مُنِيرٍ ثَانِيَ عِطْفِهِ لِيُضِلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ لَهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزْجٍ وَنُذِيقُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ عَذَابَ الْحَرِيقُ ذلك بما قدمت يداك وأن الله ليس بظلام للعبيد ومن الناس من يعبد الله على حرف فإن أصابه خير نطمأن به وإن أصابته فتنة انقلب على وجهه خسر الدنيا والآخرة ذلك هو الخسران المبين يدعو من دون الله ما لا يضره وما لا ينفعه ذلك هو الضلال البعيد الله عز وجل after mentioning his uh, beautiful powerful way of creating the human being which we covered last week in this long ayah the different stages of the formation of a child and then Allah عز وجل mentions how he brings down the rain and all of a sudden a lifeless earth uh, comes back to life uh, with where the vegetation, the flowers, the grass, uh, all that which is growing is swelling, is quivering, and a delightful variety of different things are uh, vi- uh, visible to us from a dead earth. And the reason why is that? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the eternal truth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the eternal truth. And uh, do, the fact that He can create something as amazing as this human being most definitely is more than sufficient logical proof 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of giving life once we die. And that not only that, and that he is powerful over everything. Shay, shay means anything. They say shay is masi wallah. Shay, shay, every single thing is every single thing in existence besides Allah is shay. So Allah subhanahu wa taala is capable of every single thing. The way Allah azza wa has created Himself, nothing's going to change because Allah doesn't will not change. <clears throat> so Allah will not create a duplicate of Himself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not destroy himself and things of that sort. But anything besides Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah is, will, is and will do whatever He wishes. Another place Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَرَحْمَتِي وَسِعَتْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ And my mercy encompasses every single thing. كُلَّ شَيْءٍ Shay means anything and everything besides Allah. So this is a very powerful verse of the ninth juz. Where Allah Azza says, My mercy encompasses everything. So there's nothing, no one can say that I have committed too many sins and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot encompass me. And so this is a really uh, powerful ayah for us to reflect on the qudra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The qudra of a human being is very limited. There is, you can pick up something and after that you say, I can't lift any longer. Uh, you can stay awake for some time, after that you can say, I cannot stay awake any longer. Uh, you can uh, earn and you can help people and you can perform various tasks but after a while you say I can't do that you can scream you're trying to get your voice to reach somewhere after a while someone will not be able to hear you because it's too distant you'll be able to see but after a while you say I cannot see beyond, the, beyond this wall or this is too far away I can't see so every single aspect of our life is mahdood is very uh, confined all aspects is very confined but when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qudra and Allah's attributes, there's nothing that can, can confine it. If you start thinking about how beautiful the trees Allah has created, how amazing birds Allah has created, how amazing fish Allah has created, just spend a little bit of time studying nature and you will remember, I just someone who recently was telling me of a bird, apparently it travels across the entire globe from one end to the other during some seasons. And I said, oh, where does it stop? Oh, cross oceans. It doesn't stop. It just keeps on flying, 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 flying. It's constant flying. I said, how is that possible? I said, because well, they, it, it consumes and eats so much uh, before it takes on this flight. That around, uh, in its flight, it keeps on living off of that nutrition. And yes, it sheds a lot of pounds. Naturally, by the time it completes this multi-thousand mile trip. But it's able to make it in one shot. And they may heard and mentioned a name also of this, this bird. Maybe some of you have heard of it. But this is one of millions of makhluqat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you say, how, how is this um, uh, you know, happening? How, is this, how does this work? From, let's look at an owl. They say in Urdu, they say, Ullu, right? Ullu. It's not, it's not a good sign. Ullu is not something you. Yani, Ullu. Boom. The, wool, the, the owl is not something, a praiseworthy thing to be used. So none of the kids should be thinking, oh, I get called an owl by my daddy. No, <laughs> owl is not necessarily something praiseworthy, right? It's, it's when you say, ullu means a fool, basically. But even this ullu, this, the real thing is, is, is very amazing. The way it can hear, the way it can see in the night, it has up to a hundred times better vision than a human being at night. A hundred times better vision. Right? The eyeballs don't move, but the entire... Tens and tens of bones around the neck that allows it to ro rotate its whole head around. How does this work, right? Allah subhanahu wa taala has given uh, these birds and these fish and these um, uh, all these different types of 
Every animal in between, above and below, below, has given it. All of this has been given. Allah has always given them certain sifat and attributes that are just outstanding. And you think that insan is so mahdud. We're so limited. After a while, we say, that's it. I can't stand it. There's, we're so, we're, we, we become so arrogant over our uh, strengths. But you realize the, every single animal out there, if you start studying it, has something that we don't have. Every, pick up any insect, an insect. Pick up a crawler, pick up a fly, pick up a, a snake, small or large. All of them will have some amazing trait or characteristic that we don't have. No human being has that. Yes, we have Allah has given us intellect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us a khalifa. Allah has blessed us. Otherwise, we don't need to, we, we're no special. We are, we are nothing intrinsically special. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen us to be uh, either his khalifa, Allah has chosen the human race to be the recipients of prophethood, be, be the recipient of the message of the books, etc. So that's, that's different. Besides that, what else about us? There's, there's things that, how can, how, uh, if you want to talk about physical strength, how many hundreds and thousands of species are there that are far stronger than us? Even many of these small little scorpions and snakes and frogs and Allahu Alam, what other spiders? One bite and we're out. One sting and we're out. So it's so important for us to think that, to ponder over the fact that we are very weak. We, we seem to be very strong in everything, but actually we're extremely limited. And the other creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are also limited. The only one who is limitless is Allah. Right? The only one who is limitless is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when a person begins to think this, realizes that every single thing in this dunya is, is, um, is, is you know, as... It has a perception that it's powerful, it's strong, but it only it is 100% dependent upon Allah Azza wa Jal. Uh, like for example, we, I saw recently a, uh, uh, driving a, uh, uh, a back of a police car with its lights on, right, flashing, full with a license plate on it, like a legit back of a police car. So you naturally you slow down, and then only to see there was a board. It was just a board connected with electricity, right? So it is giving this, it's a thin board, maybe like three, four inches, right? That was part of a, a fix, a fixed uh, into the ground outside of the gas station. So that's the, like, what is the haqiqah of it? There's no haqiqah of it. You plug it in, it just gives some lights and you're going to slow down, think it's a police car. But when you plug it out, Nothing it works And when wind will come It will push it away If someone wants to come And gets angry And pull it out of the ground It's gone It can't do anything It can give you a ticket This is how this dunya is All of us will only be able To benefit or harm ourselves Or anyone else As long as the amar of Allah is there As long as Allah Azza wa Jal Wants and wills for us To be able to do that And when Allah Azza wa Jal Does not want to help us Or does not want Someone else to harm us Then no matter what the situation may be We will not be benefiting Nor being harmed by anything this is what we're learning from this ayah and all of these verses of the Quran that f- focus on the qudra of Allah and realize that haq will always prevail, batil will eventually always perish. It may seem that batil is on the rise, but batil has been created to perish. You look at these um, uh, financial scandals every time happening, uh, and you, f- you look at markets where people, you just read a f- front page, someone made 3 billion off of you know, betting against something. Someone made 800 million on, on some other thing. And you say, okay, what's behind all of this? Whether you made 800 million, or you made 800 billion, or you made 800,000, or you made just 800. At the end of the day, we're all gonna die. And everyone is gonna have a, the same space in their grave. 
And everyone's going to have the same soil in the grave. And everyone's going to be surrounded by the same type of insects in the grave. And everyone's going to have this, Allah forbid, the disbelievers will have the same type of serpents. Meaning that's the end result for all of us. So you wonder like how, how long are you going to chase the, after this dunya when at the end it all boils down to the same thing. It's very important to remember that because you see people are so focused on chasing their so-called dreams um, and the world is, is, is running after that. And, but as a Muslim, you look at all of that and you say, is this worth it? Then what? What's next? What's after that? What's after that? And there's nothing. After that is, is This worldly life is nothing but play and amusement. And indeed the worldly the life of the hereafter is the ultimate life. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Know very well that the hour of doom do we, yeah, we can turn that. And know very well that the hour of doom is coming, is most surely coming. So meaning in order for, if you believe in Allah being haq, you have to believe in the day of judgment. Why is that? Because if Allah is just, and Allah is true, and Allah is the only real existence, notice, uh, haq, when you say Allah is the eternal truth, meaning everything besides Allah, it can exist or it cannot exist. It's, it's what we call mumkinul wujud. Mumkinul wujud. Its existence is uh, possible. The only one whose existence is mandatory is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what uh, uh, we're learning from here. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is thabit. Allah is set. Every single thing else is relative to Allah. Every single thing is relative to Allah. Allah azawajal is the first, nothing prior to Him. He's the last, nothing after Him. Other things in the world may fall apart, may not exist. You think uh, a company cannot be run without its CEO, without its founder. But, but subhanAllah, a company runs fine. It will get replaced by someone else. But the one who doesn't, the one who the world cannot run without is who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what haq means. Everything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all in doubt. It may run, it may not run. And this is one of the du'as of tahajjud. When uh, Rasulullah sallallahu would say, Anta al-haq, wa wa'aduka haq, wa liqa'uka haq, oh Allah, you're the ultimate truth. Wa wa'aduka haq, your meeting is true. Wa'aduka, your promises are true. Liqa'uka haq, your meeting is true. Wal jannatu haq, paradise is true. Wal naru haq, hellfire is true. Wal nabiyuna haqqun, the prophets are true. Wa muhammadun rasulullahi haqqun. And Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, is true. This is the reaffirmation of the, tr- the true truths. Every single morning at the time of tahajjud. Listen, every single thing besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is batil. Batil means za'il. It's going to come to an end. Every single thing above the mud or soil of the earth is soil itself. It's so powerful, this one line. Every single thing, every single thing. A 25-story palace they are in the dunya like that too, 25-story palaces. And a 120-story uh, tall skyscraper, a 12-story library, a 10-story department of, of, of what you call offense or defense, a science lab that is 10 stories high. You name it. Anything that's on top of this earth, كُلُّ مَا فَوْقَ 
turabu is from the earth minha khalaqnakum wa fiha nu'idukum from the earth we've created you and in the earth we're going to throw you back right all of it is going to come back to is going to come to an end this is what we are learning from this that's why there is a saying here ke padi mitti hai aur khadi mitti bas ye farak hai dono bhi mitti hai ek hai padi mitti ek hai khadi mitti two types of soil one soil is on the ground and one soil is stacked up stacked up meaning every home every palace every masjid every school every university every hospital every large skyscraper every car right every installed built structure all it is is uh, it's soil from the ground that has been layered up it's all every single thing has been made from the earth it's just you chose to take it so it's like you got flour you got flour and next to the flour you have a cinnabon or next to the flour you have uh, a naan roti or you have pizza what is that these are all different things that have come from that flour same flour one one flour is sitting there without being without being netted and without without our water being added without salt being added without it allowed being to without it being a given time to rise without um, baking it and that's what this is but once you do all of that it's the all of these samples in reality it's from the flower is going back to the flower right once you, what is it if you break it up into pieces that's what it is so this is what we are what we see is uh, the existence of every single thing that the man makes all man made things are made come from the earth and going right back into the earth that one sentence there it really allows us to put things into perspective because we get impressed we're naturally all of us are impressionable so when we see when we see something filled with you know lights and glitter and fancy and luxurious naturally we get attracted to that so we have to remind ourselves that whatever came from the earth is going to go right back into the earth whatever's on top of the earth will go down into the earth no reason for us to get impressed i remember once i was in madinah al-munawwara haji abdul wahab rahimahumullah i went to go visit him one of the elder and the amir of effort of da'wah and tabligh of pakistan and he was sitting there in his hotel room on a bed and they were telling him to please eat because he would not eat he would just always be giving da'wah he would never eat just to eat one small piece of bread would take him half an hour maybe three every 10 minutes one morsel so i i seen this before and i saw it again and there was one sheikh there mulana he was giving him he was just speaking to him giving him da'wah and saying allah does and everything besides allah nothing can benefit nothing can harm because this is always this is what he used to talk about all the time all the time speak of the grandeur of allah so then he then after about 45 minutes an hour we were just sitting there now he said he, uh, he took permission mulana from madina he's a resident of madina he said i need to can i ijaza go back to my house he said okay you may go but one line he told him as he was walking out i said man who thinks like this he said he said something like apne ghar jaate waqt jitne bhi aap aapko imaratein aur hotelein nazar aati hain sab imaraton ki hotelon ki nafi karte hue jaye sab ki nafi karte hue ghar jaye meaning on your way back to your house all the tall buildings and five star luxury hotels and two star luxury hotels whatever you see in madina is as you're looking at these hotels make a nafi of it Meaning negate it meaning this is all 
came from the earth, going back into the earth by itself means nothing. Owning it means nothing. Staying in it means nothing. You're not going to get judged by any of that. It has zero credibility and zero value, zero weight in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the spiritual exercise He made him do. What an exercise for all of us to think about it. That all the way, on the way to work, on the way to home, on the way to wherever you're going, you look at all these beautiful things that you don't have. Maybe, you know, no matter how big of a home you live in, you'll always find a house that's larger than that. And if you have the, the largest, you still only have one. Well, there's another thousand. So what are you going to do about that? So you, if you never, you're never going to be satiated. That's why you have to learn how to make this spiritual exercise internally. That all this stuff doesn't count. My house doesn't make me a better person and no one else's house makes them a better person. What happens is we'll be judged based on our sifat and our qualities and our attributes. If we are people of taqwa and tahara, Allah will reward us. If we're not, then no matter who, what our address is, no matter what subdivision we live in, no matter what zip code we have, it will not be able to avert the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And owning these things, or managing these things, or having it to your name, does not make you a better person. That's, this is the exercise that needs to be done. This goes completely against materialism. This goes completely against the jalism. Right? That's what it is. Because we are constantly being pushed towards this idea and most people are falling into this idea that the more we own, the more we, uh, the more we have, the better we're going to be. That makes us the ability, that will give us the ability to control the world resources. And people talk about that. Who's got the money? Who's got the votes? Who cares who's got the money? Who cares who's got the votes? Right? The idea is, you, if you use it for khair and good, you have to be committed to the right principles. You have to be committed to the right principles. Today, look at this month. What type of new legislation is being passed in this country? What type of lawsuits are happening? What type of ajib things are going on in this country and other countries of the world in the month of June? Pride month, they've called it. What, what's going on? They have power, they have money, they have all sorts of things. But how, are you going to say that's success? They have it. But we're going to say that you're, you're losers. You are digging your subhanAllah grave by misusing the power that Allah has given you, the wealth that Allah has given you. You could have done so much good with that. Instead, you're sitting here doing things which are nothing to do with what Allah and His Rasul would have ever agreed upon or would have allowed. So material, material gain, material wealth it by itself means nothing. And this is what batil is. Ala kullu shayin ma Listen, everything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is batil. Only one who is true is Allah. So now once you understood that, that Allah is the ultimate true, people can backstab me, people, people can hurt me, this, that, but no, Allah will never hurt me. Allah will never let me down. Every single, you may lose your friends, you may lose your parents, you may lose your siblings, you may lose your spouse, you may lose everyone. But you can't, you're never going to lose Allah. And very important point here. So many people are in very troubled relationships with their spouses, right? This is like multiple cases every single day come in. So many people are troubled with their kids. So many people are troubled with their parents. So many people are troubled with their in-laws. So many people are troubled with their employers. Allahu Akbar. All of those will come to an end. Every employer must die. Every employee must die. Every parent, every in-law must die. Every spouse must die. Every child must die. Everyone must die. The one who's never going to die is Allah. So you want to make sure that whatever you do in the process of this disagreement with someone, that it, try your best to keep people happy, fine. But one thing is that you cannot, cannot afford to make Allah angry. And so many times what happens nowadays when disputes happen, people in the, in the name of those disputes, in order to please people, they end up displeasing Allah. And we cannot make that mistake. There's one hadith of Rasulullah the gist of which is 
the one who tries to uh, uh, tries to please Allah, the one who tries to please people, and while pleasing people, he ends up displeasing Allah. Then eventually, Allah will ensure number three things: Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will sakhit Ali. Allah will become angry at him, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will all those people who he try to please while displeasing Allah eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make this man's actions hated by them to such an extent that they will always they will all end up hating him as well that spouse that parent that child that we try to please and in the process of that ended up displeasing Allah then what is the hadith saying sakhit Allah alayhi Allah will immediately become angry at him and then Allah will make all of those people who he tried to please Allah will turn, make them turn against him. It will happen. These are the words of Rasulullah Sallam. It will happen. That those people that we try to gain their favor will turn against us eventually. On the flip side of it, whoever tries to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but on the pro- in the process of it, he ends up displeasing people. People don't like that. But he said, you know what? I'm sorry. I love Allah because I have to, you know, they talk about um, strategic interest. All our, our, every country does that Where do our interests lie in? We have, a, we have an alliance with a certain country But then You have a bigger superpower That's coming in and saying Hey, uh, I'm sorry I don't, I don't like this So you already had a pre-agreed upon alliance What happens? In one second you tear that apart You had a contract You had an agreement You tear it apart Because why? You gotta look at strategic You're a small country Yes, I was allied with you How much money can you give me? How much can you help me? Compared to this superpower I don't want to anger this superpower while trying to keep alliances. Uh, most 99.999% of countries and people will break it when they see that they, uh, that they have something bigger power at stake that might get angry at them. Well, there's no greater power than Allah. So we have to ensure that Allah doesn't get upset in our relationships with one another. So the hadith continues to say, the hadith continues to say is that a person... Uh, a, a person who tries to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala A person who tries to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And in the process of that he p- displeases people Then immediately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will become pleased with him And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the actions of these people Become beloved in the eyes of those people who he angered And then before you know it what will happen? Those people will also begin to like him. So whenever you're trying to come to the deen, understand that dear brothers and sisters, whenever you're trying to come towards the deen, there are going to be people who are, not going to be ups- who are not going to be happy. Husband is trying to change, wife is going to say, what's wrong with you? Why are you becoming so hardcore? Wife is trying to change, husband will say, why are you trying to become so hardcore? Etc, etc. Things will, like this will happen. You have to be steadfast. You have to be steadfast. Inshallah, things will turn around. But you can't cave in. And this is something, it's a test. How committed are you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How, how committed are you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If you are committed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the anger of the people will not make you budge. And I don't want to give the example again and again and again. I'm just going to, not going to elaborate on it. But a simple example is weddings. That's one of the things. That eventually a time will come when the very people who got, who got angry at you for having a halal wedding, a time 100% will come 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not, is, is, is the most truthful of, of, of humans. What he says, he wasn't bluffing us. He's saying the truth. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will turn the tide. Don't worry. Do what you have to do. Do what you think is right. Do you, what you know is right. And eventually, it might be five years. It might be ten years. It might be after those people learn a lesson themselves in a hard manner. That they suffer. That they'll say, okay, you know what? This was the right decision. Many boys here, girls here listening, they want to study ilm. And they're... They are um, wanting to study, but their parents may be agreeing or not agreeing. Okay. But what will happen is that those parents' siblings, meaning the uncles and aunts and the grandparents of those students, say, absolutely not. You cannot allow our nephew to go study ilm. Cannot allow the grandson to go study ilm. So parents cave into the pressure of their, their brothers and sisters. Parents cave into the pressure of their parents. And they want their son to study the deen, but those around them do not want them to study the deen. So some of them say, okay, if you want to, if you disagree with us, we can agree to disagree. If you're going to get upset at us, you want to call us names, it is what it is. But we're not changing our ways. There are some people who do that. And there are other people who say, oh, we have to ensure that we, ha- we live in society amongst siblings and amongst extended relatives. How can we show up to a wedding, next wedding? Everyone's going to pounce on us. We're going to be the appetizer and the main meal course and the dessert. Right? <laughs> they going to all attack us. This is how dare you send your, your intelligent son to study the deen? You should have sent a fool who, who, is, who is a little bit you know, on the lower end of the IQ scale. You could have sent him. We wouldn't mind. But you actually had someone who had the means to do, to do to get into professional school. How dare you could deprive him and send him to the madrasa to study. This, this is 99% of the ummah thinks like this. No wonder. And then we say, oh brother, how don't come we don't have enough ulama? How come the scholar give not a good khutbah? How come we don't have good, good uh, leadership? What have you done for that? Every single person who is intelligent and smart, you take them elsewhere. And you say, no, this is the complete what we have inherited from Indo-Pak in the Middle East. That everyone who is good for nothing, throw them into the madrasa. But anyone who's got a chance of making it out there, oh boy, don't even make ever a mistake of sending him to study the deen. Because that would be a waste of resource. That would be a wasted, intelligent mind going down the drain. If this is how the ummah thought, wallahi, would not have Bukhari and Muslim in front of us. Would not have Tirmidhi and Nasai in front of us. Would not have Al-Hidayah in front of us. Would not have Al-Umm in front of us. We would not have Nasfur Raya in front of us. We wouldn't have any books. The library would be empty. Because those libraries, the books were not written by fools were written by the most intelligent of men that have walked on this earth. And just by going through the table of contents, you come to realize, if you have some study background, ilm background, that what type of outstanding geniuses, geniuses these men and women were who wrote and compiled these books. Alhamdulillah, they didn't think like us. But what, what are we leaving for the next generation? If every single person who's got an opportunity to become dunyawi successful, says, I'm not going to waste my time studying the deen, then what do you think is, what, what type of scholarship are we going to leave behind? These, these, these fitnas that we're seeing right now, don't you think it requires absolutely intelligent people to be able to refute them? It's not easy. 
How many of you sitting in this crowd can refute these things? Ask yourself, fathers and mothers who are listening to this online or listen afterwards, the latest fitna that your son and daughter comes back from college with or high school with and comes, how many of you can confidently refute that? It's not everyone's cup of tea. It's very hard to sit there and decipher where to even start in untangling this knot. That's what I'm speaking about. This requires extremely intelligent people who are well-versed in deen and dunya, who are well-versed in political science, who are well-versed in uh, fiqh, well-versed in various types of sciences to be able to, subhanallah, um, you know, address these issues. So those people who, who are thinking of studying the deen, whether it's a one-year program, deen intensive, or the alim program, and you've got relatives who are against you, I promise you, have faith in Allah and faith in this hadith. Do what Allah is willing, what Allah is accepting you to do. And eventually those people who are running against you, who are speaking against you, who are trying to uh, derail you, a time will come when they will come and they will not only, not only will they appreciate what you have done, but they will feel guilty for all those times that for the past decade or so that they try to say something else. And they will wish that they had done the same thing that your parents had done. Wish that they would have sent their kids to study the deen. That day will come. That day will come. Some people, they have to learn only when they fall. As they say, you got to fall to learn. So some people only fall and then learn. That, oh my God, my son is good for nothing. My daughter is good for nothing. He's got all the dunya, but he doesn't have the basic character, basic akhlaq, basic salah, nothing in his life. And you think he's going to perform salat al-janazah? He doesn't even know how to pray salah. What janazah is he going to pray? Where is he going to sit there and do isal al-thawab after a die? He doesn't know how to read the Qur'an. I, I taught him how to make money, but I didn't teach him how to love the Qur'an or to how to recite Qur'an. And here you go, there's another person, subhanAllah, who sent his son or daughter to study the deen. What an amazing asset this man and young men and women have become for the parents. That time will come. So dear students who are sitting here who will listen to my talk afterwards, I want to tell you as well that what you are doing for your parents is unparalleled. No sibling of yours can compete with you. Because people around you will say, Oh brother, you got this thing going on at home, leave madrasa." Every single little thing, go home, go home, go home. Take care of this, take care of that, take care of this, take care of that. Your mom is waiting. Many students come to me and say that. I need to make khidmah at home. Okay. I tell them straight. I said, you got a full scholarship to Oxford. PhD in Oxford. Would your mom and dad say, stay at home? Immediately they'll say, no. They'll say, get on the next flight. I said, okay. What you're studying here is no less than getting a PhD in Oxford. Not in Darussalam. Anywhere. Wherever you go to study the deen. Don't even compare this to getting a degree. This is the path. This is jihad fi sabirillah. This is going towards Allah Azza wa Jal. A person who goes out seeking in the path of Allah. Ilm. The hadith mentions if he dies before he even returns back home, then between him and the prophets will be one level in Jannah. Who can claim this virtue? That's what you're doing. You're becoming the greatest gold mine for your parents. They don't understand that. That's why they're stopping you. Your siblings don't understand that. Okay, another one. They'll say, okay, I, we, we have to, I have to leave madrasa or I have to go because I got to help out at home. What about your siblings? Well, they're all in college. I hear this so regularly. SubhanAllah, so leaving out, leave, college students cannot leave college. But madrasa is for a good for nothing place. Anything happens at home, hey, show up at home. 
We got, why? Because you are, you're a bum. You sit there in a madrasa wasting time. So anytime you need, you come back home. We need, why? I need help to take the garbage out. Yalla, come. What about the rest of them? No, they're college students. They're university students. We can't tell them anything. We can't disturb them. You, what do you do? You're studying Sharia. You're studying Quran and Hadith. These, why I'm telling you, from years of teaching, this is exactly what I've seen in the lives of my students who suffer at the hands of their parents who don't understand deen. That they treat all their kids to one degree and the one who studies the deen another. Any issue happens, who's gonna be, who's gonna, who are they gonna pull the plug on? Pull the plug on the one who's studying the deen. And anyone else who's studying dunya, don't touch them. Balkay, he's in the base, guest will come. No, 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 he's got a big exam tomorrow. Shh, please, go. Or we're not gonna even tell him that you came here because he's got an exam tomorrow. A madrasa student, he's got an exam, who cares? We, are, we're, we, got, we got a wedding going on. By what exam? Who cares about this madrasa studies? You have wedding, you have uh, moving, we have this, we have that. You name it. Vacation. All that stuff comes because madrasa studies, it doesn't make a difference. So, my dear boys and girls who are students of knowledge, please remain firm. Don't cave in. Understand that people around you, they simply don't understand what you're doing. You will become the greatest source of happiness for your parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunts tomorrow. They just don't get it right now. Mona Natari Jamil Saab, if you heard his story, many oh, long, long bayans you can find online. He gave, used to give 20, 30 years ago, where he speaks about his history, his own life history. And he talks about how the fact that in 500 years, there was no ulama in his family. 500 years, right? And his father was dead against him studying ilm. Dead against him. So angry at him to the extent he pretty much kicked him out of the house. Right? And said, you know, you're not from, get out of here. How can you go study in a madrasa? He was in medical school, for those of you who don't know. He was in medical school and he left that. Right? And went to go study. But what happened is, when his father was passing away, Mulana uh, Tariq Jamil became Mulana, and the world knew him. Uh, mashallah, the whole world knew him. And he led the janazah salah. And when he led the janazah salah, it was, it, was, it was well known that this is the first time in centuries that a son is leading the janazah of a father. Because no one in the past many, what? Centuries ever taught their children deen. They always had the imam of the masjid or someone else lead janazah. No one had their son lead the janazah. This is the first time. Imagine Allah, what honor. His father realized naturally that my son became an alim. Boy, he could have become any doctor, no one even know him. But he became an alim and Allah used him with sincerity. He worked hard and the world... The world knows him. More importantly, millions of people's lives have changed because of him. And I'm sitting in front of you, product of, of spending time with him. Alhamdulillah. Right? So all, all of these things, people will eventually soften up. So this is a test from Allah. This is a test from Allah. Uh, don't cave in. When you want to follow the deen, just, just stay strong and things eventually will change. Now if Allah is true, we were talking about how Allah is haq, well then the next part has to be true which is the day of judgment must come. Why? Because if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just, He cannot continue to watch the injustice that happens on this earth unabated. He cannot watch injustice on this earth without punishing people who ought to be punished. This is not fair. Someone grew up in wealth, enjoyed a life of luxury, and dies in his nice luxurious funeral. Another guy grew up in poverty under 50 cents a day and got sick whole life and died in a very pitiful manner and they're both that's it they're gonna both come out on the other end the same how is that, how is that possible one person he cheated every person on the block he cheated his mom and dad too and there's another person who incurred so many losses but he never spoke a lie he never did anything which was incorrect 
He made sure he followed the law of Allah and the law of the land. He did everything possible to be as just as caring. And the other one was the biggest scam artist. You're telling me literally they're both going to be in the same place? Well then if that's the case, why don't we all just cheat? Why don't we all just do horrible things? If we only have one life, why should we in, in, for any reason even follow any type of moral or va- ethical value when at the end of the day there are no consequences regardless of how you lead your life? That doesn't make sense. There has to be consequences. So if Allah is true, then He must have a place of reckoning. He must have a place where those who did good will be rewarded and those who did otherwise will be punished. And so that's why we come to this conclusion of that the hour of doom is most surely coming. It has to come. It is only right that it comes because Allah is just, Allah is true, and He will not allow injustice to become the order of the day. Whatever you and I see today here, this is simply what we call Darut Taklif. Darut Taklif. A place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to do things. Mukallaf is a person who is subjugated to certain laws. He has to follow those laws. He has to follow certain injunctions. But then there's a place called Darul Jaza, a place of punishment or reward. That's called hereafter. Ali radiallahu anhu's famous saying mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari, irtahalat al-dunya mudbira wa irtahalat al-akhiratu muqbila wa likulli wahid minhuma banun. That the dunya is wrapping up. Irtahalat al-dunya mudbira the time is up. The dunya is wrapping up. And the earth is, the akhirah is unraveling. It's slowly akhirah. Its era is coming. And each one of them has their own sons. Meaning, there's people who claim to be the sons of the dunya. They're just pure materialistic people. That's all they care. And there are people who, what we call abna'ul akhirah, who are sons and daughters of the hereafter. Their focus is how can I win in the long run, even if I lose now, but I gotta ensure I win in the long run. Then he mentioned, Make sure you become from amongst the sons of the hereafter. And ensure that you do not become from the sons of this dunya. Why? For indeed today is an opportunity for you to just do, amal, do, 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 good or bad. Wala hisab, and there will be no retribution, no reward, no punishment. Wagadan and tomorrow, hisabun. There's only accounting. There's only reward or punishment. Wala amal and no opportunity to do any action. So this is what we call darul amal. And tomorrow is gonna be darul jaza. So if you see that the people who do good are suffering and the do the people who do wrong are successful don't fall for that because their success is short-lived and the apparent failure of those who do good is also short-lived that is why Nabi alayhi in so many instances he consoled his spouse he consoled rather his children consoled his sahaba who saw that Rasulullah is going through so much physical pain going through so much hunger starvation Difficulty, and they would sympathize, and Nabi Salam would basically say that no, this is in the name of Allah. All of this is happening. There's no reason for us to become affected by the the success and the glory and the grandeur of the Qaisar and the Kisra of the Persian and Roman emperors. 
And do not, there's no reason for you to feel uh, down or sad over the simple or difficult rather life that your Nabi is leading. Because my difficulty is short-lived and their success is definitely, apparent success is also short-lived. So the hour of doom is more surely coming. And then Allah shall rise all those who are in the graves for the reckoning. That is true. Meaning every single, every single janazah you attend and every single gravestone that your eyes fall upon and all those millions of people who's, who are in barzakh without graves, barzakh without graves, who've been eaten up by, devoured by an animal, who've drowned in, at sea, whose body has been disintegrated somewhere, or nowadays cremated and their ashes been spread across space or across rivers. They are all in their graves. Yes, it's not one specific six foot by two foot spot, but it's called Alamul Barzakh. They're in, in the world of Barzakh, which is the world between this and the next. And so Allah Azza wa will definitely raise all of them. nas. Thus the hour of doom. Alright, so... Okay, so the, the tarjuma here got left out. And there are certain people who will argue with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mujadala is to argue. You know, there's a whole a surah called Suratul Mujadala, right? In the 28th Jews. Argumentation. So there are certain people who will argue with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Without any knowledge. Without any guidance, wala kitabim munir, and without an enlightening book, right? So disregard this translation. As I said, it's just a copy pasted from the last slide. So three, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala here speaking about people who discuss Deen. This is such an important, I think, application, such an important ayat for us to focus on today, because we see this all the time. <clears throat> Let's finish the next ayah. Thani this man, what does he do? He turns himself aside from the truth. Itf means your side. Thania means you're turning it. He turns his side out in disdain, arrogantly. In order to mislead people, in order to lead people astray from the path of Allah. For him, there shall be disgrace in this world. And then we shall make him taste on the day of judgment and the day of resurrection the torment of the burning hell. Of the burning in hellfire. So Allah Azza wa Jal is, is in this second in ayah number nine, is speaking about the punishment of these of this group of people. What what did these group of people do? They argue about Allah and the Deen. However, they argue without any basis, no knowledge. Are sitting there discussing things. In order for us to have a discussion, we have to have some sort of background. If you run an accounting firm, someone comes and is discussing with you tax law or some aspects of accounting, but he has absolutely no idea, you're not going to continue engaging him in this conversation because it's a waste of your time. You know very well that this person is, uh, has no idea what he's talking about and you will end that conversation because you don't want to act foolish with a fool. Similarly, a person who is in the medical field, someone comes and argues with him in his, about his speciality and he has no idea about medicine, you will immediately decide to end that conversation and you will not allow him to continue on his rant. You won't give him an opportunity 
to go on and on about stuff that he has absolutely no knowledge of. So any field you pick up, the people of that field unanimously agree. You don't even have to be of that field. So you have a lawyer and a doctor who are arguing back and forth. And the doctor doesn't know about the law, a lawyer's field, a lawyer doesn't know about the doctor's field, but for some reason they're arguing. Another two people, one's a plumber, one's an engineer, one's a, a carpenter, will say, why are you guys sitting there talking about the other guy's field? When you go to his office, just be humble. The lawyer needs to be humble in front of the doctor if he, has, if he needs medical advice. The medical doctor needs to be humble in front of the lawyer if he needs advice on, some, on, law, on pertaining to law. That's how it's supposed to be. So we usually have this respect amongst ourselves. One area of respect that we don't have is the deen. The deen of Allah. When it comes to Allah, as they say, jitne mu utne baate. As many mouths there are, that's how many opinions. If there's 100 people in the room, then 100 opinions about the deen. If there's 1,000 people at the wedding, then 1,000 opinions about the sharia. And no one here, that group of people, has absolutely anything to show for it. You know, I was saying that, like for example, just a person calls me, asking me for advice. And he says that, um, uh, what you call? Uh, I, I have a company, I'm selling it to, a, I'm selling it, and there's some interest money that we're going to get in there. Uh, my partners who are Muslim, they don't want that interest money. Uh, but for me, uh, I think the Prophet's era was a different era. Interest should be halal, should be permissible. So I don't care. But how do I convince my partners? He asked me this question. Now look at this. You just come up there. The brother, unfortunately, has never studied anything. And beyond that, yani Sunday school too, I don't think he ever went. Right? So that's a big, that level of knowledge. Yani Surah Fatiha, unfortunately, fail. That's the, that's the condition. But where did you just build? You just completely took out a verse of the Qur'an where Allah Azza wa is announcing a war with someone engages in interest and you say, I think the era of the Prophet is different, hence today interest should be fine. So is this uncommon? This is very common. Everyone wants to be able to give their opinion on different things. And this Allah Azza wa is talking about this. There are people who argue about the deen of Allah, who argue about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they have got nothing to base their arguments upon. Okay, so what is ilm? There are many different tafsir of this. One tafsir is that ilm is the ilm of the people of the earth. Hudan refers to a sound method of analyzing things. Sound method of analyzing things. And kitab, kitab munir, is referring to Revelation from the prophets. So this person, he doesn't have any knowledge of earthly knowledge. He doesn't have even a proper hudan, doesn't have proper analytical thinking or analytical reasoning. Number three, he doesn't have any guidance from any revelation as well. So if a person doesn't have any of these things, how can he sit there and argue? This person has to be making things up. He has to be a fool if he does so. Um, in order for us to arrive at a conclusion, you have to know how to piece things up. So a person who doesn't have any of these things will not be able to make a proper argument by any means. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, is saying that this person, he is going to be punished because he is arguing about the deen without any knowledge. Some ulama have, have given a nice example that these, this, this ayah is referring to three types of dalil. Three types of proofs. Namely, Dalil, dalil aqli or rather dalil naqli dalil aqli and dalil waqi'i so dalil aqli is logical proof dalil naqli is proof from text, textual evidence dalil waqi'i is 
proof based on your observation in real life, what you see. So for example, someone says, um, why is riba haram? Though the best for a Muslim, the strongest evidence is dalil naqli. A dalil and a proof that has been passed down to us from Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. An authentic hadith, a verse of the Quran. That's the best proof. So you, you recite, you tell them, لا تأكل الربا أضعافا مضاعفا فأذنوا بحرب من الله ورسوله etc. You recite verses. Why is interest haram? Well, here you go. These are the verses of the Quran. That's your dalil. Naqli. It is proof from the text. Someone says, why is marijuana or, you know, or all of these other types of drugs impermissible? Where are they spelled out in the Quran? Well, you'll tell them, the Quran says, khamr. Alcohol is haram. And the reasoning and the illa is that khamr, yukhamirul aqla. Summi al khamr khamr liyanu yukhamir aqla. Khamr, it puts, khimar is a, is a scarf. Khimar is a scarf. Right? Orni. Something the women who used to cover up. So khamr is called khamr because it puts literally a covering over your intellect. And you can't think right when you're drunk, when you're high. So now, using a logical and analytical reasoning, what we call dalil, aqli, anything that gives you a high, anything that messes with your intellectual capacity, capabilities, anything which affects your uh, reason or aql, is going to also be considered khamar. And just like khamar is haram, this will also be haram through analytical reasoning or what we call dalil, aqli. A, a proof from logic. Third thing is the lil waqi. Someone says um, the imam is not in the masjid. He said that. Well, you go inside the masjid then, and look, he's standing right there in the corner. So there's the lil waqi. It's right in front that he went there, and you saw the imam standing there, and that's your proof that what you're saying is wrong. If you want to prove it, give me a dalil, one of the other dalils. But right now, I, have, I actually went there and witnessed, I saw the imam standing in the corner of the masjid. How can you say he's not there? This is called dalil waqi'i. So this ayah is basically saying that those who argue about the deen of Allah and about Allah Azawajal without having any of these three proofs, Kitab Munir naturally is going to be what? It's going to be your dalil? Naqli. Kitab Munir revelation. He doesn't have any logic, he doesn't have any proof from Quran and Sunnah. And um and Hudan, this is referring to your other two proofs. The proof of using analytical reasoning, naqli or aqli from your intellect, and waqi, uh, your own observations. So a person should not speak about a deen without knowledge. And we have to um, really work towards that. No one said that there is a, um, you know, that there is a copyright on knowledge. We want people to be educated. I want all of us, and you and our Nabi wanted all of us to be educated people. People don't study the deen, then they start passing comments, verdicts without studying it, and then they get angry if anyone corrects them. Because they say, oh, do you have, are you the only one who's authorized to speak about the deen? 
Well, no, if you go ahead and study, you can be authorized as well. But you have to, you, you have to study at a place where a bona fide place. You have to have a teacher. I'm sorry, studying on the internet does not qualify you. Just like it wouldn't qualify a lawyer, a plumber, a doctor, engineer. They say, I studied on the internet, so I am going to come and speak at your convention. All the doctors are together, all the engineers together, I'm going to speak at that convention. No one will accept that. No one. They won't be accepted. So why is it in the matters of deen then, anyone who has not studied or studied on his own, he picked up books. You know what you can do studying on your own? I tell you, any is dangerous. Subhanallah, people get misled. I, I have met people who, are, who unfortunately got very misled. When they started studying, what do people usually do right now? Either they pick up a translation of the Qur'an, or they pick up Bukhari. Nothing less than that. They won't even pick up Riyadh al-Salihin. They don't want Bukhari. There's a reason why Riyadh al-Salihin, Imam Nawawi compiled that. It's not compiled yesterday. It's compiled from long, long ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But those hadith that are in there that are easy to understand and they're about implementing. They're practical advice for how a Muslim should lead his life. Sahih al-Bukhari is not for, any, for an average person. Even in the alim course, for those of you who are aware of how the alim course works, Bukhari is not taught in the first year or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth. If there's a 10-year alim program, Bukhari Sharif is taught in the 10th year. If it's an 8-year program, it'll be taught in the 8th year. If it's a 7-year program, it'll be taught in the 7th year. And who teaches it? Usually always the one who is the most senior. The one who, there is no special name for the one who teaches tafsir. There's no special name the one who teaches Arabic. There's no special name for the one who teaches usul al-fiqh or usul al-hadith or aqidah. However, there is a special name for someone who teaches Sahih al-Bukhari. And what's that? The Shaykh al-Hadith. That's it. He's got an actual name. The most senior teacher of the madrasa is called the Shaykh al-Hadith. Because he's teaching what? He's teaching Sahih al-Bukhari. Even if he's teaching Sahih Muslim or Abu Dawood or Nasai, he's not going to be called Shaykh al-Hadith. The one who teaches Sahih al-Bukhari is called Shaykh al-Hadith. Because that is regarded as the most advanced book. It's, they're all hadith, but the explanations of it, the tartib of it, the order of placement, there's so much complexity. Those of you who ever attended a Monday night dars, if you didn't, you can go listen online. A portion of it, when Mufti bin Haj would explain some of the aspects of Sahih al-Bukhari, but I mean, subhanAllah, it was very obvious people had a hard time appreciating it. Uh, because it was so, ch- you know, as much as you try to water it down, but still people had a hard time understanding that. That, so how is it that you think you can just go pick it up and start reading is what I'm trying to say it's, it's going to end up causing a lot of confusion and then our hum- we don't have the humility and humbleness to say I'm sorry I made a boo-boo I made a mistake I got confused can you help me out a person says no I'm intelligent I am so well respected in my, in my IT world I'm so well respected in my accounting world I should be able to get out of this mess myself and the more he tries the more deeper he becomes to the extent we see people end up Unfortunately, there are people who actually have left Islam. Not by Sahih al-Bukhari also. By Allah forbid, Allah forbid, Allah forbid. As many thousands that are accepting Islam by reading Quran, you still see people actually leaving Islam after reading it the translation because they read it unguided. They, they did read it unguided. Should, should, am I saying don't read a translation of the Quran? I say go ahead, read a translation, but with that, read some commentary as well. Don't try to figure things out yourself. Otherwise, it can get very confusing. Have humility. I talked about it last week extensively about being humble when it comes to knowledge. Right? So, same thing here. If we're humble with the Quran, we will inshallah gain that guidance. So, those people who argue about the deen of Allah without these proofs, and then what else they do? 
they turn themselves aside from the truth. Meaning they don't want to follow the truth, they want to follow their interpretations. Their own interpretations. You saw there was a document, I know every, all the youth know what I'm talking about, navigating the differences uh, uh, document. Well then there was a rebuttal within two days by the progressives and the liberals um, with their own letter saying that we have to be all inclusive and how dare you can say that this stuff is haram and impermissible and they started miscoding all sorts of verses of the Quran miscoding, misrepresenting unfortunately, horribly, horribly incidents from the life of Rasulullah to as though he allowed this type of behavior this whole LGBTQ stuff and it's signed by random people and if you look at it, I looked at the document someone's name, it says what are, what are the credentials? female I'm not exaggerating. This is the credential, female. Another one, a teacher. Another one, actor. Another one, you know, artist. These are your credentials. Imagine I, we come up and we said, no, we're, we're going to ban a certain type of, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to rebuke the FDA for approving certain type of medication for some disease. And we say, this is how it should be. And you just see a list of people who have zero medical credentials, but everything else beyond that. So how, why are we allowing this? We cannot allow the deen to be dictated by people who have actually never ever ever studied even Surah Fatiha cannot happen the doors are open be humble go study wherever you want by proper scholars yes but without that you can't do it Thani Atfi why is he doing this? why is he arguing? anyone know? he actually wants to lead people away from the path of Allah deep down there is no desire to find the truth that's it there's no desire. There's people who come and say, Brother, I am addicted, I am attracted to the same gender. Can you help me? 100%, come and speak to us. Come speak to me. There are solutions for that. There's issues. But you got to say, I have this, I'm worried about this, can you please help me? Alhamdulillah, the deen is never going to shut the closed door on you. There's always solutions. 100%. But now you say, I have this feeling, and now I need to find a Quranic verse to, to, to legitimize it. This is this person's arrogance. He's not following the truth. He's following his desire. Tomorrow, this is not... I tell you boys and girls and brothers and sisters, we're not stopping here. This is going to get much, 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 much worse. Right? Pedophilia is 100% just, just around the bend. We're just maybe a couple years away from that. That is exactly where we're... The next big target, and then it's going to go towards incest. Right? This is exactly where this whole movement is going. And, and you will see that those people who are allowing what, uh, what's going on right now and trying to welcome it and accept it, and etc., etc., those very same people, they're not going to stop. You're going to say, really? Yeah, they're not going to stop because they're not following the truth. They're following their desire. And once a person becomes the follower of the desire, there's no stopping to how low they will stoop. Even those things that I just mentioned right now, they're going to try to legitimize that. Right? The worst type, most despicable thing that a human being could ever think and consider, they're going to try to find a Quran or Hadith to support that. That's it. But how long? They will be disgraced for them in this world. They will be disgraced. Eventually, they'll be disgraced in their, in, in, by being exposed. They will be disgraced by their knowledge. Uh, they will be disgraced by yani, in, in terms of their field they'll be disgraced in terms of their dunya they'll be disgraced in different in, term, in terms of their wealth they will be disgraced in terms of their character they'll be disgraced etc and then on the day of judgment will make them taste the torment adab means torment al-hariq from, from haraqa is to burn the torment of burning 
It shall be said to him on the day of judgment. All of this punishment that you are facing is for the evil that your two hands had advanced in this world. is to send forth. You're not being punished unreasonably. You're not being punished because Allah enjoys punishing. Allah is saying it will be said to them, you're being punished because this is what these are the seeds you had sowed and that is what you are reaping. That's what you're reaping. So on the day of judgment, no sinner will regard Allah to be an oppressor. He will recognize it. That was, I'm sorry, it's my fault. Remember that. I'm telling you this. That no person in hell will say, oh my God, why are you oppressing me? You will be made to understand and believe that what I'm going through, I dug this pit for myself. I, and that's actually even worse. Because when you feel like, you know, I think so, Allah knows best. But when you think that you're being oppressed, you're like, you have this energy, I'm going to fight back against the oppressor. But when you know you got caught, and you did wrong, and you deserve what you're going through, what are you going to do? There's like, how do you, how do you even fight back? It's like you've lost your soul. You lost your spirit to fight back. Because you're like, it's no, it's no point. I'm gonna, I'm, this punishment is never going to end, and I deserve this. Wow. That's really hopelessness. And that's exactly what Jahannam is. It is the... The, the, uh, the, the height of hopelessness. There, and it's not... And it's true. Because there is no hope. Once a person gets in there, خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا without iman, there's no coming out. And Allah never does wrong to His servants in the least. How did they get, the, how did they get this in the least in here? ظَلَّام ظَلَّام For the students of the Arabic, ظَلَّام صِفَةْ مُبَالَغَةً Right? Absolutely. So when you, it is a hyperbolic form. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not severely oppress His servants. So sometimes people miss, and that's why it's so, and it's so important to understand the Arabic. You can't just go, if you just look it up a dictionary, go through handsware, check up Zalam, greatest oppressor, highly oppressive. Allah is not extremely oppressive to His servants. Oh, so He's a little bit oppressive then. That's what's going to happen if you just look at the dictionary and try to translate this ayah. But then you have to put it into context. And that's why you see, he put in brackets. What did he put in brackets? In the least. Why did he get that? Because here, the lam, the sifat mubalaga, the hyperbolic form that's here, it's not, it is not a mubalaga for the aspect of zulm. It is not about how Allah is not super oppressive. Rather, the hyperbolic form is being used for the nafi. That he is absolutely not oppressive. It's not about, the hyperbolic form is not being used to highlight zulm, but it's rather being used to highlight that he doesn't do zulm. The nafi part. I'm not sure if you all get, got, I was, I was able to express myself properly. But basically you could say, laysa, not, not. So this sifa, zalam, the hyperbolic form of it, is focusing on laysa, that he is not at all in the least oppressive of his servants. Another place Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا يَفْعَلُ اللَّهُ بِعَذَابِكُمْ إِنْ شَكَرْتُمْ وَآمَنْتُمْ Alright? What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to do? What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to do in shakartum وَآمَنْتُمْ If you are all grateful and you are believers. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I do not enjoy punishing you. Just I want you to be grateful and um, have faith. 
Moreover, amongst the human beings, there is, a, there is a type of people, there is a group of people who worship Allah as if He is teetering on the uttermost edge of faith. This is another very powerful ayah for us to reflect. Allah then explains it. What does it mean worshipping Allah as if He is teetering on the outermost edge of faith? So this is table here is Iman. And this person is worshipping Allah like this. Like this Kleenex box on the edge of the table. Like this. Not on the top, not in the center, but on the edge. Anything happens? Fall. Right? As long as good befalls him. Good money, good job, good spouse, good kids, good health. Oh, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah. He is at peace with it. He is that ha comes out properly. That ha comes out properly. Everything is just Alhamdulillah. You know, how can I complain? But if a trial befalls him, he lost his job, he lost his spouse, he lost his children, they ran away from home, or they passed away, or they became disobedient. Uh, he got in trouble, he got exposed, some type of mistake happens, or he got cheated by a Muslim, he got cheated by a so-called practicing husband or a practicing wife, uh, he, got treated, he got cheated or got mis- abused by a, a person of knowledge, uh, all whatever things of that sort. Then, in qalaba ala wajhi, he goes back on his heels, he turns about, he turns about face and back onto unbelief. He turns around, he said, I'm done with Islam, I'm done. I can't believe it, she cheated on me. I can't believe he lied to me. I can't believe the Imam did this to me. I can't believe I'm, I did business with a Muslim man and he stole 100,000. Khalas, I'm done with Islam. Done. Khasira dunya wal akhirah. Allah says this man is a loser in this world and of course a loser in the hereafter. Such is the most manifest loss. Mubin, manifest, open, clear. There's no bigger loss than the one who lost a boat. You're a loser here and a loser there. <sighs> These are people who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the uttermost edge of faith. Now let's look at people who do that. Um, for, you know, for example is a person is doing business. He's doing a, a halal... A, you know, I've, I've seen this as an imam. I see too many of these cases. That's why I'm telling you this. Watch out. That subhanAllah, a person is doing business and someone cheated him. Okay, that happens. I can get cheated. You can all of us get cheated, maybe. And it can be. So how does that mean that you're going to turn away from Islam? You got cheated, well, learn how to do business next time better. Guard, you know, be, put your guard, don't put your guard down. Don't let your guard down. But he was a Muslim. So what? He grew out a beard. So what? He prays Salah in the masjid. So what? Unfortunately, feel bad for him that he, he does all of that stuff, but he's still a sinner, that he cheated you. Why should that make you turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Then subhanAllah, what, how is he bad? When you're actually, yani, like if, if you're thinking that he cheated you, that means you're not upset about the fact that he broke the order of Allah by cheating you. You only care about your own wealth. Isn't that what it is it comes down to? It's like you can break all the orders of Allah. I don't care as long as you don't cheat me. Well, that's not sincerity. You have to say, no, I don't want, I, I, I want, I love the orders of Allah and Allah is the most beloved to me. And from amongst the orders of Allah is that you pray and fast, and along with that, that you do good in business. But what happens usually, especially cases of being cheated in business, or a nasty divorce, 
or some physical abuse or some uh, sexual abuse or whatever the case may be, people, many times, shaitan comes in and makes them turn away from Islam itself. And I hear that a lot nowadays. I want to leave Islam. Oh, why? Because my hips teacher hit me. What kind of, what kind of foolish excuse is that? But that's what's happening nowadays. All of you boys here, you know people like this who say stuff like this. I want to leave the deen. Why? Because my ustad sab, you know, he slapped me when I was a little kid back in Pakistan for 60 years ago. What is that supposed to mean? He, every man goes into his grave and if he, did, if he slapped you, he'll have to face Allah for that. Fine, he shouldn't have done that. But what about your Allah? Who are you going to have to face? You, th- you think he's going to get it? You're upset at him for slapping you, which is right. But how does this make you better by you leaving Islam and forsaking Allah Azza wa Jal? When did, you know? But that's it. As long as things come my way, I'll say Alhamdulillah. And they'll write, هَذَا مِنْ فَضْلِ رَبِّي And they'll post it up everywhere. هَذَا مِنْ فَضْلِ رَبِّي But when things go south, then unfortunately they, they change. I remember many years ago, one, one, one brother, he was in, preparing for his medical exam. And uh, I used to see him in Juma. So then, I didn't see him in Juma for many weeks. So one day, I called him. I said, where are you? I don't see you in Juma." So these are his words. He said, hmm. He said, I've cut off my, you know, friends in India, Pakistan. Said, these are your friends and no more friends. Like this. Put two fingers together and separate the two fingers, no friends. He said to me, I'm out. I'm done with Allah. I said, oh, what happened? Because I haven't passed my exam. I tried so many times, I failed it. Now you and I know so many people exactly like this. That they blame Allah Azza wa Jal for anything and everything and they chose instead of instead of their problems making them come to the masjid running shaitan makes their problems turn their back further from the masjid and those are genuinely khasira dunya wal akhirah losers in this dunya and of course losers in the akhirah if you get tested by loss of job loss of 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 of, of career loss of, of of marriage or loss of children then the smart and the only way to go forward is to turn running back to Allah and say, Allah, you put me through an imtihan, please grant me patience so I come out of this successful. That's what you have to ask. That's why notice difficulty has been called fitna. Why is it called fitna? Because your reality, your real skin color, or your real blood type, if you want to call it that, your real DNA will get exposed when you go through a fitna. Fitna becomes Idharul Haqiqa, Kashful Haqiqa, when your reality becomes exposed. People's real true colors, when do you see them? You see them under pressure. You see them when they're angry. You see them when things go opposite of what they had planned. Then you see the true colors. And when everything goes in the way they want and the way they expect, then everything is nice, happy, and dandy, lovely, great. You, can't, you don't really see the true colors of people. You see them when things start going. So a marriage is working out, mashallah, everyone's smiling, they got you know, box of chocolates and roses, everything. When the marriage is not working out, let's see the true colors. Marriage is moving forward, everyone's smiling. Marriage is not working, let's look at the mom and dad of the husband and the wife. You wanna see their true colors. See when conflicts happen. See when arguments arise. See when the marriage has to be called off. See when divorce might need to be initiated. Fine, it can happen. Divorce may happen. Marriage may need to be annulled. It can happen. But you have to do it in a civil manner. You have to do it as humans, not as shayateen. You cannot allow your anger to get the best of you. But usually we see the true colors of people at that time. And the zulm and the oppression that our Muslim community does upon one another during these times is horrible. 
the amount of bad mouthing, the amount of taking people to the, as they say, to the, to, to the launders, you know, is crazy. How they, they, they completely uh, remove, forget any goodness that, the, that you have received. Yes, the things may have gone wrong, but someone's been good to you for 15 years. Please acknowledge that. They've been good to you for one month. They've been good to you for one year. Whatever's happened, the whole world does not need to know what is happening in the home. The whole world does not need to know what happens in the bedroom. The whole world doesn't need to know that. Just amicably move on. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Tasrihum bi ihsan. That in a, ihsan, in a nice manner, you part ways. We have to part ways sometimes. Whether it's a business falling apart, or weddings falling apart, or nikah falling apart, it can happen. But do it in a nice manner. So don't, if, if at that time a person chooses to turn his back against Allah and start saying, why did Allah do this to me? Why did Allah do this to me? Unfortunately, his true colors have become apparent. So my dear fathers and brothers and kids, you know, when you see people saying these type of things, understand, you know, that, uh, understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is put, is, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, uh, testing us for a reason And I, we don't have time Inshallah if Allah wills Maybe next week I'll go over it Otherwise we can move on too It's fine But I just wanted to give you examples As how Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam In the most difficult of times In the most In the greatest times of ease He was the exact same In the, in the Munajat Maqbul book Or Hizbul A'zam book Or Munajat Maqbul The accepted whispers dua book That we have here With the author or the compiler uh, The translator rather the translator, because it was compiled by Mawlana Ashraf al-Tanwi, and the translator is Brother Khalid, Ustad Khalid Beg, who came here during the retreat. There are two, two du'as there, back to back. And when we sometimes study du'as here, I've asked the crowd, can you tell which du'a is from what time? There are two du'as there. One du'a is, Allahumma inni ashku ilayka dhu'afa quwwati wa qillata hilati wa hawani ala nas. And the other du'a is, Amazing, powerful du'as. If you read it, you will cry. Two du'as next to each other. Absolute, absolute, absolute humbleness. Humility of Rasulullah in front of Allah. Now, I tell people, figure out, when do you think, did Rasulullah say this back to back in one night? And the answer is, no, not at all. One du'a is the most difficult day he's ever had in his life which is the dua that he made obviously in Ta'if when he was being pelted with, by stones and with the little kids running after him spitting at him pushing him out the elders of the town all making fun of him and that's when he begs Allah for help and saying I'm nobody Ya Allah please help me please help me right? I'm complaining to you about my weakness and the next dua where he says oh Allah you see my, you see my plight you can hear me. You can see me. I am the most sinful. I am, yeah, that's what he says. I'm the most sinful. I'm the, I'm the one. I am al-mudhnib, al-dhalil, al-faqir. I am the, I'm the sinner. I'm sinful. I am, uh, I'm humbled. I am the one who is, who's got his nose on the ground. I'm this and I'm that. That dua is at the peak day of his life. The day he entered Makkah al-Mukarramah as a conqueror. Right? Eight, in the eighth year of Hijrah. And that was the tenth year of Nabuwa. It's about nine years, uh, you know, about uh, thir- you know, uh, what, eleven years later. Co- literally the lowest moment in his life, and literally the highest moment in his life. And I promise you, you cannot tell the difference between the duas. The the, love, the level of humility in both of them is unmatched. 
It's like, you're like, it's just so amazing. But who would ever think? And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he entered Makkah as a conqueror, you know, he had his, he put his, he didn't walk, like we, we go, well, how we walk up to get a little uh, perfect participation award, on time award, uh, or whatever. You know, best improved student of the year award. Walk down like subhanAllah, we walk in with a gold trophy, a gold medal, right? We get excited. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is entering Makkah al-Mukarramah as a conqueror from that same city that had exiled him. And he actually has his blessed head down. And his cheeks are touching the hump of the camel. He's not entering with his chest a high, head high, chest widespread, that here I am walking in. Absolutely not. So humbled as he enters Makkah al-Mukarramah as a conqueror. So this is, if you want to look at someone who's got the same level of deen, we have to study the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his Sahaba. That whether the, the low moments or high moments, they were the same. Because it hurts me to see when people have bad, they've had a bad experience at an Islamic school. They've had a bad experience at a madrasa. They had a bad experience at a masjid. What happens? They literally just ditch deen and Islam. What is that supposed to mean? This is an imtihan for you. I was in a place, I'll tell you how shaitan, this is all shaitan, how he works with it. I was one day in one masjid, and with, they, were, had a, they had a ijtima there, which with much difficulty, I had worked on one individual to come with me, and some other brothers to that ijtima, to that gathering of bayans, lectures and talks. It was a very beautiful i'tikaf program there. So alhamdulillah, the brother drove an hour to come. And I witnessed this with my own eyes. The brother was standing there in line to go to the bathroom and so was I. And the bathroom opened and there was an elderly person who obviously couldn't control his bladder and he just rushed into the bathroom. He cut the line. It happens all the time in Mina. It happens in Hajj all the time. You can do. Okay, it's not the end of the world. This person's like, all of a sudden, mashallah, he went and started following the rules. Oh, how dare someone can cut the line here and go into the bathroom. This is the gathering of Muslims. Where is our akhlaq? So what does he do? Asr adhan has been given It's like 7 minutes for jama'ah to start Literally In front of my eyes This guy left the line Went like half a mile away Found his car And drove away home Never to come back again Never to come back again So Many weeks later I went to go find him I said what in the world happened to you? And he's like man I don't know I was just overcome by shaitan I was like this is, it. this is exactly what we're speaking about Someone cuts the line How do you harm Allah? You're harming him By leaving the salah By leaving a gathering no, you're harming no one besides yourself. So I, I, things will happen to you. You come to a masjid, I see that in reviews. Oh, I, I see that all the time. I, whichever masjid I'm traveling to, I'm trying to look up at their Google directions, and all of a sudden the reviews will come. You know, a, a zero point, you know, a, one review. Oh, the brother is horrible over there. Because he, even this masjid too. This masjid as well. Horrible. You'll see sometimes people will say, they come in, our parking crew, you know, subhanAllah, that they'll curse the parking crew, curse the masjid. And why? Because they came when the khutb, you know, when the first salah started, <laughs> and the first rakah started, and they decided to park, you know, by the archway entrance maybe or something like that, some just random place. And someone said, "You can't park here. Sorry, you cannot park here. Go park in a proper place. You're coming in after everything's finished. Go park in a proper place." So now you're going to use that occasion to go online, and to curse everyone else. Okay, go ahead, curse. You're not cursing anyone besides yourself. All of these things you're doing, you're making everyone a witness to your own actions. The whole world sees what a fool you are. And the whole world sees, subhanAllah, that how weak your deen is. Even if someone oppressively, oppressively in the masjid took your shoes and threw them away. 
For example, how do you, how, who do you harm besides yourself by saying, I'm done with masjids? And this is it today. So many people won't come to the masjid. No, that masjid, that president I don't like, that board member I don't like, this imam I don't like, this thing, someone, they judge me over there, etc., etc. So this is a big problem today. That's why I'm emphasizing this ayah. Go read the tafsir, listen to more tafsirs, whatever you want. This ayah that we just covered right now, I think is gold for us to reflect on because it's happening a lot. A happening ayah number 11, right, of Surah Hajj. It's just people are so flimsy in their deen. They're touch me not. If any fitna comes, I'm done. And that's why it's called a fitna. It's called a fitna because it exposes the fake Muslims from the real Muslims. When issues come, they decide to turn their backs to the deen. And you're harming no one besides yourself. I ask Allah to grant us the understanding of what we just said. And grant and save us from turning our backs to the deen in any situation. But rather keep us connected to the deen and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any and all the situations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to test us with. Hmm? Okay, inshallah. So yeah, yes, last week we did questions, right? We didn't do some dhikr. So this week we'll do some dhikr inshallah and we'll keep the questions for uh, the weeks after inshallah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 muhammadur rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Sallallahu ala Muhammad 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 Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
صلى الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم 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 استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم انت السلام ونك السلام وتباركت يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم لا مانع ما اعطيت ولا معت ولا منعت ولا اراد ما قضيت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد رب اغفر وارحم وتجاوز عما تعلم انك انت العز الاكرم اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والفعل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا اللهم افتح قفال قلوبنا بذكرك واتمم علينا نعمتك اللهم ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد اذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمه انك انت الوهاب ربنا هب لنا من ازواجنا وذرياتنا قره اعين واجعلنا للمتقين اماما سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين امين ان شاء الله از ريمايندر وي وي هاف اور الحمد لله انيوال جراديويشن اوف ذا ختم البخاري taking place next Saturday. So all of you who are here first time, just please mark your calendars. Next Sunday, inshallah, the 18th of June will be 24 uh, male and female ulama graduating from our seven-year Sharia program. Please do not miss this. You will get a chance to listen to the final hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari being taught after Salatul Dhuhr on Sunday, June 18th, as well as the students graduating from the Qira'a program. Additionally, on Saturday, inshallah, we'll have our Hivs graduation, high school graduation, and graduation of our Tanweer intensive. So if your son and daughter or yourself are considering to, to enroll in the one-year program, definitely I would in- encourage you to be here on Saturday to witness the graduating class and their presentations. Last but not least, we have uh, right after the graduations on June 20th, our Deen intensive will begin, which is a four-week course on uh, fundamental Islamic sciences for boys and girls 15 and above. Uh, it's a Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., a quite intensive one month. If you want to know how to make the best use of your summer for your son and daughter or yourself, I encourage you to please check online and enroll in our Dean Intensive. The details of the courses, the syllabus, uh, all that stuff, inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala, uh, will be um, shared on our events group. So if you're not on the events WhatsApp group, it's there on the wall. Take a picture of it, join it, and all the details of it will be probably shared by tomorrow. Additionally, you can check on the website as well. I ask Allah to allow us all to benefit tremendously from all these programs and grant ikhlas and sincerity to those who are teaching, those who are attending. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Nashadu Allah, ilaha illa, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.